Welcome to OAC Vancouver's podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We believe that Jesus is needed and relevant for people in Vancouver today. The message of God's love and promise of wholeness was destined to be experienced within a faith community that worships, studies scripture, and prays together. We warmly welcome you to journey with us towards greater connection, purpose, and peace. We'll be sharing our recorded services and conversations with health and wellness experts. Enjoy. Does anyone know about Lucy Byard? Put your hands up if you know. It's okay if you don't. Don't worry. That's the reason I'm here. So, Lucy Byard, as you can see, she's right there in the center. The year it's 1943. Lucy Byard was a parishioner at the local Seventh-day Adventist church in Jamaica, Long Island. That's not Jamaica the island, but Jamaica on Long Island. (laughs) Anyway, Lucy Byard is a parishioner at the church, and she finds out that she's terminally ill. Oh my goodness, what is she going to do? Her doctor says you're going to have to go to like a proper hospital for them to be able to give you treatment. So where would she go? She stops and thinks to herself, where would people welcome her and love her and treat her with all the goodness that God has given? And so, she decides that she will go to the Adventist Sanitarium in Maryland, Washington. Or Washington, in Washington, in Maryland. There we go. So, she's excited. She is going to go and be with her people. So her doctor calls up the people at the sanitarium. The people at the sanitarium go, an Adventist needs help? We'll be all right on it. So they go off, they set a beautiful room for her, right next to a window where she'll get wonderful sunlight, because that's important to the health message. And she's there. She's excited. She gets sent over. And she's brought in, and at first she feels like, yes, I am home. She gets into her room, and it's beautiful. Wow, these people are going to take good care of me. The doctor walks into the, into the room, And all of a sudden, the doctor looks at her and says, I can't can't work with this woman. So he goes over. He talks to the other staff and he says, you guys can tell that she's black, right? They decide that they can't work on this woman. They take her out of her hospital bed in her gown and put her in the hallway. Not only that, they decide that they are going to have to send her to the black hospital across town. Now, typically, if someone's being, sent from, being transferred from one hospital to another, they are put in an ambulance. But they felt they couldn't put a black person in the same ambulance that they serve white people in. So they toss her in the back of a car, and they bring her to the black hospital across town, where she dies. So... Then we get to this point. If you were shocked or angry or felt any type of emotion from this story, it's okay. That's what you're supposed to feel. You're supposed to hear a story like this and feel upset. Like how could people who were children of God see another being who is made in the image of God and be so cruel? How could people who are of the same faith, who believe that someday in heaven we would all be together, Look at someone and go, well, we can't, we, we can't possibly live on earth as it will be in heaven. 
What happened to Lucy Byard was a tragedy. And it not only affected the immediate people in that situation, it also tore apart a good portion of the Adventist church in that region. Black Adventists and white Adventists tried to find ways to fix things up, but so many of them, after hearing this story, just couldn't bring themselves to worship in the same building. This church is what we call a breach. This is a separation. This is one of the ways that we are taken from what God wants us to be like and brought into the twisted, broken world that we currently live. The church should have been open to Lucy, but they weren't. Our verse today comes from Isaiah chapter 58, verse 9 to 12. You may open that in your Bibles, or if you have your phones, go to there. And it serves as a reminder or as a way to say, hey, look, I know where you are now, but here's how we can change it. And it says, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people shall rebuild your ancient ruins, rise up age-old foundations, and you will be called the repairer of the broken walls and restorers of the streets of dwelling. In some translations, you get the term repairers of the breach and restorers of the streets. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. Lord, you are a God who sees us, who hears us, who loves us. And you call us to see injustice and to stand up for those who are oppressed. I pray, Lord, that now as I present your message, that it is your words that are spoken and not mine. May it be your spirit that fills this place. May this message encourage and bring people closer to, in their relationship to you. And Lord, may all bits of Kendall melt away and may your word be seen. Forgive us for our sins. And may we each be a blessing to each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. A little bit of art history. Does anyone know what this is a painting of? Put your hands up if you think you know what this is a painting of. If you're friends with me on Facebook, do not put your hands up. Okay. Well, no one put their hand up. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry, class. We'll, we'll continue on. This is a painting by a gentleman by the name of Jacob Jordans. Sorry, just moving my notes so I make sure that I'm not making any mistakes here. <clears throat> and it was done in the year 1650. Jacob Jordans was, was, asked by the, was commissioned by the church to paint a picture of Moses. And this was the painting he did. The painting is called Moses and his Ethiopian wife, Zipporah. 
Now, maybe today it's not that radical. Maybe you're just like, oh, man, yeah, okay, I can see that. Moses seems like he's a pretty happy dude here. You can see where the Ten Commandments are there, just under his arm. And yeah, yeah, this is a fine enough painting. But consider what was going on at the time. Just like with Lucy Byard, who was at a time during Jim Crow, in 1650, the Atlantic slave trade was just beginning. You see, there was already things happening, but this was just picking up. People were just coming to the idea that, hmm, how can we do all this terrible abuse to another group of people? And the idea was floating around, well, maybe black people aren't people. Yeah, say people who want to oppress. Yeah, that's what we'll start saying. And they want to start saying it all over Europe. So Jordan Jacobs, or sorry, Jacob Jordan, good golly, um, he gets news of this. And he's like, I'm going to use the art that I am making to stand up. I am going to show everyone to, that this is wrong, that everyone is created in God's image, every human being. So he paints this painting. It is the only painting of its type, as much as nobody else seemed to have been bold enough to paint it. But this was a radical stance against what was going on at the time. But you may be going, okay, what inspired him to paint this painting? If we go in our Bibles, we get to Numbers chapter 12. And we're going to talk a little bit about this story. I'm going to give you a quick rundown so, I don't have, so um, you may read it in your um, time as I'm speaking through it. So our story begins with Miriam and Aaron who are discussing their situation and their placement in the world. Moses has just appointed 70 elders over the people of Israel. And as they're talking, they come to the conclusion of who made Moses the boss of everyone? And as they're discussing who made Moses the boss of everyone, one of them brings up the, the point that Moses is married to a Cushite. Another terminology for Cushite could be an Ethiopian. And in other words, she was a foreigner. Moses is married to a foreigner. As if he, they bring this up to point out that if Moses is married to a foreigner, how then should we trust any of his other decisions? Now God comes in. God hears what's going on, and he invites them all to the temple of meeting. He invites Miriam, Moses, and Aaron to the temple of meeting. Here God comes up. He confirms why he chose Moses. He says, look at all the other prophets. They're spoken to by dreams and visions, but I speak to Moses with my own voice. Moses hears my voice. And he's, what he's doing right here is he's saying, look, if I speak to Moses this way, and I confirm that he is my follower, I've blessed him and his choices. This is why he is, and so, and basically what God is doing is he's confirming who Moses is. Then he goes off to Miriam and Aaron, and, as, and I, as the pillar of cloud that has appeared before them, he disappears. Now, this is a fine and good point where God is saying, hey, Moses is my boy, don't worry about it. But that's not the end. Because Miriam ends up looking at her skin, and all of a sudden it turns white and pale, and it starts to be all, as Aaron would describe it, like a stillborn child. Miriam becomes leprous. This sickly Miriam is terrified, and Aaron is terrified, and he begs Moses to talk to God. Moses is terrified. He talks to God and says, Lord, Lord, what? don't let my sister die. God goes off and says it will be seven days before Miriam can re-enter the camp. 
Now let's break down what we just went through. Notice what happens. Why Miriam and Aaron bring up Zipporah's um, foreignness. They're doing it to almost make a grab for political power. They don't know why God chose Moses, although they should. They don't know why they were not chosen of the 70 elders. And they're using the, a, a form of xenophobia to say, look at this foreigner. That's a perfect example of his bad choices. We should be in charge. Many times you will see this in politicians who will blame the other, who will find a group that has nothing to do with the conversation, point to them and say, oh, it's their fault. That's why you're having bad things happen in your life. And it's ironic because they had just left Egypt, a place where they were the foreigners and they were mistreated. And the second they got out of Egypt, they're already blaming foreigners among them. So who did this affect? Sorry, I had a picture of the temple of the, the tabernacle. Um, so yeah, so let's see. Injustice like this is fueled by fear. It is fueled by ambition, pride, and any form of entitlement. They felt entitled to that position. They were scared that they would not have the same impact over the people of Israel. And on top of all of that, they were ambitious and wanted more. So who does this affect? This affected their entire family. Moses was their brother. And by that extent, his wife was their sister-in-law. But they were willing to tear that apart in order for them to prove a point. And then finally, it would also, oh sorry, I forgot to mention it would affect the ministry. Think about what Israel would have thought of this. They would have all been like, well, if they don't like foreigners, we shouldn't like foreigners as well. And then finally, how did God respond? He affirms his choice of Moses, and in turn, therefore, the choice of Moses' wife. He communicates, how he's feel, how, he communicates to Aaron and Miriam what's going on and where they stand. And then finally, he restores so yes, Miriam is out there for seven days. And during those seven days, you can see that now Miriam has to experience what it would feel like to be on the outside of society, to be pushed out because she looked different than other people. And in those seven days, the people of Israel waited, and they had to reflect on it as well, how they would treat people who were different than them. The children of Israel, after the end of this story, moved to a place called Paran. And when I was studying for this, I didn't think it was very important until I chose my second story to, prove, to, to talk about um, these issues. And it's the story of Hagar and Ishmael. You see, Hagar was the Egyptian servant of, of um, Sarah, right? So she was a foreigner as well. And she has a similar situation where she is cast out. Not for the same reasons, but we can go into more details on that later. The reason I bring up her story is because this is another situation where a foreign person is alienated from a group, but not only that, but God comes, to, comes up to defend them. You see, at one point, when Hagar was first, first basically was run off or ran away from Abraham's home, she found herself in the desert. 
And just at the end of her rope, she ends up having an encounter with God. In that encounter, she calls God a wonderful name. That name is Elroy. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but I'm going to say Elroy. This means the God who heeds, the God who sees. And then in turn, she adds something else to it. She, eventually, when she has her son, she calls him Ishmael, which in some translations means the God who hears. This is important because this entire time I've been talking about the breaches that are broken up when we allow injustice to exist in our world. And, the first, and one of the first steps in fixing that is to start listening. God heeds, he hears, and that is the first step in righting an injustice. So, I have a couple examples of where God hears. God hears Abel. When Abel was killed by Cain, he heard the blood of his voice. In other words, even though the, the blood wasn't obviously actually crying out, God sees the oppression that was going on. Same thing when the children of Israel were in slavery. It's a beautiful image of God hearing their oppression and saying, okay, I can't allow this to go on forever. The story of Jonah, when he's in the belly of the fish, God hears him. And of course, the Babylonian captivity. This is just a small amount of the times that God hears and radically changes what's going on. But let's keep moving forward. Let's break down what a breach is, and then we'll break down how to fix it. So, a breach is the separation, um, the othering, the willful ignorance, prejudice, hatred, or belittling, belittling of someone else or a group of people. We create breaches when we tell people who are suffering to just get over it. We create breaches when we refuse to see others' point of views because we've already devalued it. And we create breaches when we ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit who compels us to love, but we've already projected so much hatred on a certain group of people or people that it becomes impossible. So how do we fix it? And uh, if you've fallen asleep in church, this is the time to wake up. <laughs> so, we humble ourselves. Now, while I did say listening is, the most is one of the first steps, humbling ourselves is the first step. Because, and I know this personally, because a lot of times I'm a proud person. <laughs> if you do not humble yourself first, you will not be ready to listen. Right? You might actually physically be in the room hearing what they have to say, but you are not listening if you have not humbled yourself. Humbling yourself puts you in a place where you can actually let your biases and preconceptions melt away. It puts you in a place where you can actually give support. And it makes this whole situation no longer about you. A lot of us, when we hear there's an injustice, we think we're a superhero. We think we can come in and fix it. In fact, there's many Hollywood movies out there where a certain person shows up and just fixes all the problems. And then we all go, oh, but what about the people who actually had the problem? How did they work through their trauma? No, 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 no. This one person came in and fixed everything. That's not how it works in real life. 
That's not how we build relationships. That's not how we show God's love. We work with each other. Then we learn to listen. And we learn to listen without their seeking to respond. I don't listen. When you talk to somebody who is having a difficult time, you don't listen to them just to go, oh, 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 that happened to me too. Let me tell you about my story. I say this knowing that I am guilty of this. And another thing that we need to do when we listen is realize that even if we don't agree, we should try to see it from the other person's perspective. If we are not able to do that, keep listening. Ask a question. Keep listening. Nope. Sorry. There we go. Next step, to empathize. Okay? So now we get into the whole trying to see it from their perspective. We consider how they got to their conclusions. Even if we don't agree with them, we consider how they got there and if how we would feel in that position. And, of course, that's the whole putting yourself in the other person's shoes. And then finally, we find a way to support or to help or to change the situation that's going on. Support can just be sitting with someone through a situation. Sometimes someone doesn't need you to come in and save them. Sometimes they just need a listening ear. There's beautiful stories in scriptures where all God did was listen to somebody who was having a difficult time and responded with love. Joining, with, uh, joining their voice. If somebody is having a difficult time and all you say is, wow, that really sucks, and then walk away, you haven't changed anything. Maybe the listening was what they needed, and sure, fantastic. But if they actually need help, being there with them is important. Financial aid, sometimes it is a charity, maybe it's a group, whatever, helping them out financially or whatever way you actually can, whether it is coming in on the weekends to help at a soup kitchen, whether it is um, calling them up once a week. I should have put more information than financial aid. There's a comma there. I was going to write more. And so these things are super important because it shows that there is going to be some sort of commitment from you that's going into this. And I, this is kind of a reiteration of my point about humbling yourself. Don't make it about yourself, right? If somebody says, hey, I need whatever, I need something in my life, and you're able to give it, don't go around clanging your cymbals and beating your drums and telling everyone, look how I helped them. If someone is sleeping on your couch because they can't find a place to live, it's not your job to go around and tell everyone, yeah, yeah, I really helped that guy out. Let your reward be in heaven. Okay, let's get back to Lucy Byard. I'm sure you guys all remember the beginning of this whole thing. Let's wrap this up. So, you may be going, but she died in the last part of the story. What more is there to say about Lucy Byard? Well, this story went relatively forgotten to the Adventist church for many years. Most people did not think about it. Even though it caused a major rift, people just thought, well, what are you going to do? Which is not the attitude you should take when there is a, when there is a, a schism in your church. But people just thought, well, what, how could we fix this? And then sometimes what happens with injustice is after it's been ignored long enough, we stop caring. But not too long ago, 
the Adventist Health Reform, the Adventist Health Organization basically got together and started thinking about how we relate to our community and what their impact has been. And this story ended up on their desk, the story of Lucy Byard. So they went and found a historian, an Adventist, an Adventist historian by the name of Benjamin Barker. Benjamin Barker went in and looked into the story of Lucy. Not only that, as he continued to go through it, he found Lucy's family, who were still in the church, who were still active members, but had been hurt so badly and did not realize how what had happened had affected so many others. And so, they spoke to the community, they spoke to other Adventists around who would have been interested in this situation, on how they could best serve the community that they had hurt so badly. And as they sat and as they spoke, they prayed, they cried, they spoke about the hurt that had happened. They came to the conclusion of what they could do. So on December 10th of 2021, that's right, just a couple months ago, they unveiled this painting of Lucy Byard, which they, will put, which they planned to put in every Adventist, or every, in at least every Adventist sanitarium that was still around. They also planned to take this painting to remind people of what their history was, what happens when we allow injustice to happen in our world, when we're passive to injustices that are going on around us. They also created a scholarship in her name for any child or anybody who was trying to get into the medical field in these communities, who needed help, who needed just a little bit of an extra push this scholarship, I guess people are now going to be able to apply for. This year will be the first year anyone can apply for this scholarship. This might not have fixed everything, but it's a step forward. This started with, some this started with humbling ourselves. We as the Adventist Church realized that we weren't perfect. Listening to the community, empathizing with the community, and finally we chose to support. My brothers and sisters, I pray that you look into your own lives in places where you might have blind spots, places where you might have ignored something or forgotten a group of people. I pray that you take these steps, that you remember these stories, and I pray that you are blessed. Thank you, and thank you so much for listening. May this message stay with you throughout the week. Thank you for listening to OAC Vancouver's podcast. Learn more at oacvancouver.ca. If you're in Vancouver, join us for worship Saturdays at 11 a.m. at 5350 Bailey Street. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. God bless you and have a wonderful day.